0: Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. If you'd like more content like this, visit us on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on February 6, 2022, on the basis of Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. The gospel for the day and also the basis for the sermon is from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "'Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch.' Simon answered, "'Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets.' When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break." From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Can you picture the scene? Jesus is preaching to a crowd of people at the lake of Gennesaret. This was a lake that he taught by quite often. He made use of You might know it a little bit better as the Sea of Galilee. Those two are the same things. The Lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. And there was perhaps a very practical reason why Jesus chose to spend a lot of his ministry preaching by this particular lake. As you can picture with a lot of different lakes, but but this one in specific, they had banks that kind of sloped upward. And so it formed this sort of natural amphitheater. So days before voice amplification was was possible. Days before microphones were possible, people could hear Jesus. A larger number of people could hear Jesus. It was incredibly practical, yet on this particular day, it was becoming less and less practical. You see, Jesus' popularity had grown immensely. At this specific point in his ministry, he had done several miracles that people had either witnessed for themselves or they had heard about from somebody who had witnessed for themselves. On top of that, Jesus was beginning to distinguish himself, set himself apart as a preacher. When people came to listen to him, they realized that he was different than any other teacher, any other rabbi that was out there. That that when Jesus spoke, he was one who spoke with great power and great authority. There was something different about his words. And so people were flocking to him in big numbers to to see him and to hear him. And you know how crowds can get. There's little reasoning with a crowd. There was plenty of room on the banks of this lake to, to spread out and to listen to Jesus, but everybody wanted to get close to him. Everybody wanted to, to get a closer glimpse of Jesus. Everyone, everyone wanted to be able to hear him a little better. And so they were pressing in on him. Uh, to the point where you have to imagine he's getting closer and closer to backing into the lake. Before too long, he's going to be standing in the lake teaching them. And so he looks over and he sees a couple boats sitting on the, on the edge of the lake. And he happens to know one of the, the, the owners of one of those boats. His name is Simon Peter. You might be familiar with him, too. Uh, Simon, this isn't the first time he, he has met Jesus. Simon has had multiple interactions with Jesus. In fact, by this point, you could probably say that Jesus and Peter, they were pretty good friends. They had gotten to know each other pretty well. He, he first, Simon Peter first met Jesus when his brother Andrew introduced him to Jesus, and from there on... He got to know him better and better, and that relationship flourished. Peter was there at the wedding of Cana when Jesus performed his first miracle. He took those six big stone jars of water, and he turned that water into wine. Peter witnessed that. He saw it. Peter saw Jesus heal a lot of people, including his very own mother-in-law in Capernaum, and that all happened not too long ago. So, so Peter, he knew what Jesus was capable of. He knew that Jesus was someone special, and so of course he's going to let Jesus use his boat, right? So Peter and Jesus, they get into the boat, and Jesus says, put out a little bit from shore. And Jesus proceeds to teach the people from the boat. Now if we pause there for a second and just, just picture that scene, we've got to say, Jesus is passionate and creative about getting the word out there. He is so passionate that he's not going to let uh, something as simple as running out of real estate on the shore to stop him from, from preaching the word. He's going to get into a boat, and he's going to, to preach the word to the people from the boat. You, you kind of got to wonder, what was that like? What was he preaching about that day? To, to witness the scene and to hear his words. This undoubtedly was kind of around the time where Jesus was going to be preaching the Sermon on the Mount that's recorded in, in Matthew. So was he, was he speaking words like that? Was he saying things like, like he said in the Beatitudes when he, when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, etc. Or as he went on with the Sermon on the Mount and he, he expounded on the law of the Lord and he said, uh, even if you have hate in your heart, it, it's equal to murder, if you harbor lust in your heart, that you've already committed adultery with that, that person. We can only speculate as to what he actually taught. We, we can know probably for sure that he is, is teaching about the, the kingdom of God, but you can bet that he had a captive audience. They were all listening with bated breath. And Peter, sitting in the, in the boat, was soaking in what Jesus was, was speaking. Because He was speaking with power and authority. But the sermon's over now. Jesus has said, amen. He turns to Peter and he says, turn that trolling motor on. Let's go out into the deep water and let, let's do some fishing here, right? Well, here's what he actually said. He said, uh, put out to the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Pretty straightforward, right? There's not much questioning what's going on there, but you've got to think about this from Peter's perspective for a second. Peter's been out fishing all night. In fact, when he says to Jesus later, he says, we've been working hard all night. They fished through the night, and so he's tired. It's probably nearing about noon now as, as Jesus is done preaching. And so Peter's probably thinking, well, we just fished all night, and we've got to do it again this coming night, so we only got a few hours here to get some rest in. Do I, do I even have time to do what Jesus is asking me to do? Add to it this, how many of you like to be told what to do? How many of you like to be told what to do when it comes to your own profession or what, what you're good at? How many of you like to be told what to do at your profession or what you're good at from somebody who is not from that profession, doesn't know anything about that, that craft, does, isn't good at what you are good at? We don't like that, do we? <laughs> Think about this scene here. Peter's a professional fisherman. He's been doing this for a while. This is how he makes his his living. And now he's supposed to take advice from a carpenter? (laughs) Is a farmer going to take crop advice from a stockbroker? Is a doctor going to take surgery advice from a construction worker? No, that's ridiculous, right? Add to that the fact that, that they had fished all night and caught nothing, they had no luck. Add to that the fact that they were supposed to go to deep water. That's not where you net fish. And and add to that the fact that it is not the time of day that you typically catch fish. And Jesus' request to go to the deep water and fish seems all the more illogical. And Peter obviously had his own misgivings too. You can tell that in his response. But look what he says at the very end of verse 5. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Aren't those words great? Despite all of that, despite the fact that Peter's tired, despite the fact that he fished all night and caught nothing, despite the fact that this is not the right time of day to fish, despite the fact that this is not the right place to fish, Peter says, because you said so, Master, we'll let down the nets. Even though this doesn't make any logical sense to me, because you say so. Those words are so admirable from Peter, aren't they? And yet, at the same time, if you're like me a little bit, those words are convicting. Because you could imagine an inner dialogue in, our, in your own heart, in my heart, that maybe sounds something like this. Lord, I know you say that I'm forgiven, but I just don't feel forgiven Lord I know you tell me to go share your word with others but I, I just don't really feel comfortable doing that I don't think that I can speak I don't think that's me Lord I know you want me to spend time in your word but I just I just don't have any time Lord I know you desire my first fruits but I'm barely getting by as it is if we took Peter's words here, we'd say because you say so, Lord. Lord, even though I don't feel forgiven, because you say so, I'll trust that I am. Lord, even if I feel uncomfortable, even if I don't feel equipped to share your word, because you say so, I will. Lord, even though it doesn't seem like I have enough hours in the day to to finish everything that I need to finish, because you say so, I'll I'll devote specific time to your word. Lord, even though the budget is kind of tight right now, because you say so, I'll give. Because you say so, those are words of faith. They're words of trust in God's word despite what is going on, despite how things appear it's trusting God's word to say, because you say so. It's trusting that, that what comes from God, from our generous God, is of the ultimate good, compared, and better than anything that, that we would find in our world. Let's continue walking through the story a little bit here. So, so they put out to deep water. They, they listened to what Jesus said. Uh, maybe there's still a part of them that's thinking, Ah, this, this just doesn't seem like a good idea. But, but they do it, right? Peter and then, and then his companions follow him. And they let the nets down into the water. And they're still probably not expecting that much. But boom. <laughs> Schools of fish swim into, the, into these nets. They're surprised, but that surprise quickly turns to panic, you got to imagine. Frenzy. As they're, they're trying to get these fish from the nets into the the boat. And as they're doing that, the nets are breaking and they're frantically getting the fish into the boat. And and then even after they do that, they run into more problems because as they bring the fish into the boat, there's so many of them that both boats begin to sink. (laughs) This is frantic. This is crazy. Yet amongst all of this craziness for Peter, everything kind of fades into the background. The craziness seems to, to almost go silent for a second, because at this moment, after that miracle had happened, it hits Peter. It hits Peter that he is standing in the presence of the transcendent God. All that stuff that's happening, it doesn't really matter for him anymore, because he is so struck with fear that he is in God's presence. He falls on his knees and he says, "Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinner." Now, I want, you, I want you to notice something about Peter here because Peter, just in, over the course of a couple of verses, he kind of goes through a transformation. So look back at verse 5. What did Peter call Jesus in verse 5? See it there? Simon answered, Master, right? He calls him Master. Okay, now forward, fast forward to this verse, verse 8. What does he call Jesus in verse 8? He calls him Lord. The the miracle had led Peter to a deeper understanding of who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't just a special guy anymore. Now he was God in the flesh. Peter is in the presence of the divine and he is now aware of that. And that's why he switches from calling him just master to, to Lord. In this story, we get two pictures of Peter. We get the picture of him in verse 5, before the miracle. And we get the picture of him in verse 8, after the miracle. Before the miracle, what did Peter think about Jesus? Yeah, he was special. Uh, Maybe Peter thought he was a prophet from God that had special powers and abilities to to perform miracles. That's why he was able to turn the water to wine. That's why he was able to heal people, including his his mother-in-law. This was a unique guy that that could do what he had never seen anybody do before. Maybe this was just a prophet from God that that came to bring the powerful word of God to people and he was really good at it. He he was a good preacher. Maybe that's what Peter thought before, but now he knows, right? Now he knows that he's in the presence of the the transcendent God. So, So which Peter are you? Are you the pre-miracle Peter? Are you the, the secular Peter? The, the one that's maybe been influenced by the secularism of, of this day. The one who's maybe been influenced to think more about who am I than who is God. The one who walks into the presence of God, whether it's in, in worship here, or as you approach the altar for, for the sacrament, or as you open His Word, and fails to realize that 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 word comes from the transcendent God, that you are in the presence in worship of the transcendent God, that that as you partake of his body and his blood, that you are in God's presence. Uh, Are you Peter number one? Or are you Peter number two? The the terrified Peter. The Peter that is all too aware that he is in the presence of, of the transcendent God, and he is scared because of that. He wants to hide under the chair at at, under his chair at at the at being in the presence of of God because he realizes that he's not holy. He realizes that that he is a sinner and he asks the Lord to go away from him. Are you the person that is so aware of your sins and you see your sins so clearly, but you can't see your Savior? That that's blocked out. And so you're scared at the in the presence of God. Well, Jesus addresses both Peters, both the secular Peter and the terrified Peter. He addresses the secular Peter with his power and his might. This miracle shows Peter that this, in fact, is the transcendent God, and it hits Peter. And he also addresses the terrified Peter. He speaks simple words of comfort, of grace and truth to Peter to comfort him. Look what, Look at what he said. It's Three simple words. He just says, don't be afraid. Three simple words, yet there is so much meaning packed in those three simple words. He says, Don't be afraid. He's saying, Peter, it's the wrong move to ask me to go away from you. I know that you're so struck with your unworthiness now, but but don't be afraid. Certainly I, I am holy, but I have come to make you holy. By the sacrifice that I will accomplish, you will be holy. You will be worthy. You don't want me to go. You need me to stay. But when Jesus says, don't be afraid, this is Jesus' absolution to Peter. He is absolving Peter from his sins. He's saying, Lord, or, Peter, I know that you are a sinner, but I have come to forgive you. And even when Peter knows he is sinful, and says, Lord, go away from me, the Lord in grace stays. Because just as, just as Jesus could pour out numerous blessings of these fish, this physical blessing here, so he could also pour into the heart of Peter his spiritual blessing of forgiveness. So he could pour that spiritual blessing into the disciples' hearts. So he could pour that spiritual blessing into your hearts. Hearts. Forgive your your sins. We didn't do it in this particular service, but there is one liturgy that we go through where at the beginning we say, uh, We have come into the presence of God who has created us to love and serve him as his dear children. Remember that one? And it goes on. It's a reminder, it's an acknowledgement that as we come to worship him, we are coming into the presence of God. That as His word is preached, we are hearing words from His mouth. That, that as the sacraments are administered, God is present. He is present when a baby is baptized, when anyone is baptized. He is present when, when we have the Lord's Supper. And we often need reminders of that, right? We, we often give in to the, the secularism of our, our age and fail to re- recognize that. We need those reminders. But, but once we know that, once we know that we're in God's presence when we're taking Holy Communion, Why don't we hide under a chair? Why aren't we terrified and trembling at being in the presence of God? Because we're not. We're not asking the Lord to go away from us. But instead, we're saying, come Lord Jesus. Come to us. Be with us. It's because the Word has transformed how you look at Jesus. The Word has taken a heart that didn't even acknowledge the transcendent God and now acknowledges that. The Word has taken someone who is terrified to be in the presence of the transcendent God and has put him at ease because you've been forgiven. We certainly aren't worthy. We certainly aren't holy. But God has made us both worthy. He has made us holy through His Son and He has forgiven all of our sins. One day we will all, everybody will, stand before the transcendent God, Jesus Come back to judge the living and the dead, and Jesus will determine who's going to heaven and who's going to eternal judgment. And that scene ought to be scary. It really should be, but it won't be. Because Jesus isn't going to ask us to leave His presence, He's going to invite us to come and be with Him. That's the gospel. That's the message that is comforting to us the first time we hear it, the hundredth time we hear it. The thousandth time we hear it. And we need to continually hear it. It's the word that Jesus is so passionate to get to other people. He is so passionate about it that he'll sit in a boat and he'll tell people about Jesus. He'll get creative about talking to people about the kingdom of God. He is so passionate about it it, that he has given you the responsibility to go and tell, tell everyone, Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your family, tell your coworkers. Teach your children about God and about Jesus. Minister to your spouse. Evangelize to your children. Evangelize to your spouse. He has given that responsibility to all of us because he is passionate about getting his word and his gospel to his people. He's passionate about people being comforted. The same word that brings you comfort... It's the same word that equips you. It equips you to do a job that maybe we neglect sometimes. It equips you to do a job that maybe you don't want to do sometimes. We are not worthy on our own to share God's word. We're not qualified. Neither was Peter. Peter was unqualified. He was a fisherman. Peter was not worthy. He was a sinner. But God qualified Peter. God made him worthy. And he has done the same for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is only through the grace of Jesus that we could even approach you in prayer. We are unworthy. We are not holy. We are void of any merit in your eyes. We have sinned against you repeatedly. Forgive us for the sake of your Son, Jesus. It is through His sacrifice alone that we have been made holy and made worthy. His merit has been credited to our account. We know that Lord, and and we desire to know it more fully. Let the truth of your gospel reside within us and let it fill our lives. Equip us, Lord, that the truth that you, you comforted, the truth that comforted our hearts may comfort the hearts of those in our lives. Use us as your fishermen to bring souls to the knowledge of your Son and give us patience and perseverance in this endeavor. We ask this in the name of Jesus who saved us. Amen.